Uh, well, friends, uh, has there ever been a time in your life where you just felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like giving up? Uh, many years ago, I went on a bushwalk with some friends. Uh, it was a bushwalk in the Blue Mountains, uh, not for the faint-hearted. Uh, some of you might know this tra uh, track, but uh, it's a place called the Six-Foot Track. Uh, it stretches for 44 kilometers from Blackheath all the way to the Janolan Caves. Uh, we planned to do this bushwalk over a series of days, uh, camping along the way. It began with a lot of excitement, but soon enough, the going got tough. Uh, the sun was beating down on our backs. We ran out of food. We eventually ran out of water. And there came a time when we turned around to one another and asked ourselves the question, how will we ever make it? to the end. Now, eventually we did make it to the end. Uh, in our desperation, uh, it even involves some hitchhiking, uh, which is a story for another day. But uh, I wonder whether this is a little bit like our um, experience of the Christian life. Uh, you know, God has saved us uh, as his people by the atoning blood of Jesus. He has promised to take us all the way to glory in heaven. And yet we find that on this side of that glory, life is just hard, isn't it? Uh, you know, we face trials, we uh, face uh, our own weaknesses and uh, perhaps sickness in our life, we face opposition for our faith, uh, we, we face uh, difficulty after difficulty, and we might sometimes ask ourselves, how will we ever make it? To the end. Perhaps we are even tempted to turn around and go back to our old life, pre-Jesus Christ, because that just seems so much easier. Have you ever felt that temptation before? Uh, well, in our passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews, you'll see, is writing to Christian people uh, like you and me. Uh, you can see it there in verse 1. So if you have your Bible open in front of you, uh, have a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And you'll notice there that he addresses his readers as holy brothers. And you who share in a heavenly calling. Uh, we've seen in the series so far in Hebrews that it is written to Christian people who are tempted to give up on their Christian lives and go back to their old life of Judaism under the law of Moses. But I want you to see here that the writer of Hebrews writes these le this letter to urge these Christian people not to give up in their Christian lives. Uh, how will these Christian people make it to the end? Well, the answer that the writer of Hebrews gives in our passage this morning is that it is through persevering faith. Persevering faith. Uh, you can see it there in uh, verse 6. Have a look with me at verse 6. Uh, he says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Or again, come down to verse 15. Verse 15. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, whether or not we make it to the end, to glory, is conditional on whether you and I persevere in our faith, whether we 
continue to have our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who will get us over the finishing line. Now, I want to stress that this is not salvation by works. Uh, He's not saying here that your ultimate salvation depends on your spiritual performance and how well you do. But it's simply recognizing that those who will make it to the end and be saved on the last day are the ones who will have a persevering faith throughout their Christian lives. You know, Jesus himself speaks about the reality of those who look like they're Christians on the outside. They, they kind of spring up like a shoot, outwardly looking as though they're the real deal, only to wither away when trials and temptations and difficulties come in their life. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that those who are genuinely destined for glory are the ones who will persevere in faith, continuing to trust in Jesus throughout their Christian lives. That may not be perfectly done, but there will be an element of perseverance. Uh, Why should we persevere and hold on to to Jesus? Well, uh, in, in the passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews says that it is because Jesus is the Son who rules over God's house. Because Jesus is the Son who rules over God's house, which is another way of saying saying that Jesus rules over God's eternal kingdom. Uh, You might know that the word house in the Bible uh, uh, means two things. Uh, Sometimes it means a physical house, but it also means uh, a kingdom uh, or God's people. Uh, Jesus is the one who rules God's kingdom forever. Uh, You'll see there that he begins by urging the Hebrew Christians to consider Jesus. Uh, In verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider this Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. In other words, he wants these Hebrew Christians to give some serious thought to Jesus in their lives and take a good, hard, long look at him. You know, it's easy in our busy lives, isn't it, simply to take short, superficial looks at Jesus and kind of come away thinking we we know him. But here the matter is so important that he wants them to take a good, hard, long look at this one. But notice that the writer of Hebrews then begins to compare Jesus to Moses, who was uh, the great leader of God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, this part of Hebrews reads a bit like you know, one of those debates about who is the greatest sports person of all time. Have you, have you seen those sort of debates? You know, is it Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal? Uh, is it Michael Jordan or some other basketballer? Is it Muhammad Ali or Sugar Ray Robinson? But why does the writer of Hebrews compare Jesus to Moses? Well, it's because, as we've been seeing, the Hebrew Christians were the ones who were tempted to abandon Jesus and go back to the law of Moses. And so what the writer is doing here is he's trying to show 
that Jesus is even greater than Moses, and so why would you abandon him for someone who is lesser? Notice that the writer does not do this by putting Moses down. In fact, he acknowledges there that just as Jesus was faithful to God, Moses himself was also a faithful servant of God. You can see it there in verse 2. Verse 2, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. In other words, friends, Jesus was faithful to the task that God had given him, wasn't he? As an apostle, which just means messenger in this passage, Jesus faithfully brought the message of salvation into this world. And further, as a high priest, uh, he faithfully did his job of offering up a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the world. But Jesus was not the only one who was faithful because Moses himself uh, also was faithful to the task that was given to him to lead God's people out of slavery from Egypt. And yet, while the, uh, what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say next is that Jesus is greater than Moses because while Moses was simply a part of the house or a part of God's uh, family, Jesus is actually the ruler over God's house. He stands over God's house as its king and messiah. Uh, you can see it there in verse 3. Uh, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful, notice, in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Uh, near where I live, um, they've recently finished building this uh, wonderful um, block of uh, award-winning townhouses. Uh, if you walk past, these uh, townhouses look amazing. Uh, they're very beautiful in appearance. They've used the best materials. They've made great use of space, uh, very energy efficient. Uh, they're magnificent townhouses, and apparently um, you know, they keep on telling us that uh, they've won some sort of award uh, in the industry. But while the townhouses themselves are great, uh, it's actually the designers and the builders who get the honour and glory, isn't it? I mean, on the award night that they probably had, uh, it's not the houses that get the trophy, it's the, the builders and the architects and those who designed the house to get the honour and glory. Now, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, isn't it? Moses was, was simply a part of the house or people of God. In fact, he was simply a servant who actually spoke of greater things to come. Uh, you know, the exodus in Moses' time pointed forward to an exodus. The sacrifices under Moses pointed forward to an even greater sacrifice in the Lord Jesus. But Jesus is not just a part of the house. He is the builder of the house. Uh, he is the God who uh, keeps on building this magnificent edifice. And he is the one who will rule over it. 
and inherit all things. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if you are part of this house or kingdom that you are going to rule over forever, well, make sure you keep on holding fast to him. Do not let go of that glorious future by wandering off to other things. Keep on clinging to him and put your confidence in him. It would be a dreadful mistake to drift away from this Jesus who rules God's house. Are you someone who is holding fast to Jesus in your life at the moment? Are you someone who is persevering in putting your faith in Jesus? And no matter what the circumstances, you are trying to work out how to live his way to please him and honour him. How easy is it, friends, when we face difficulties in our life to think that somehow we don't need to listen to him? Well, friends, uh, we've just seen the encouragement to persevere in putting our faith and confidence in Jesus because he is the one who will rule over God's house forever. However, what the writer of Hebrews does next is he solemnly warns us of the dangers of unbelief or the dangers of lacking this persevering faith. And uh, you can see that he does it by quoting from the second half of Psalm 95, a well-known psalm, which tells the story of the first generation of Israel who were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, let's pick it up from verse 7. If you have your Bibles with me, uh, with you, um, have a look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. One of the astonishing things that you see here is that the writer of the psalm, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, uses a psalm that was written about a thousand years before, and he says that this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. In other words, Psalm 95, and in fact every part of Scripture, is not simply a dead word from thousands of years ago, but it is actually God's contemporary word to you and to me now. And this warning was spoken by the Holy Spirit when the psalm was written thousands of years ago. This psalm uh, was spoken as a warning by the Holy Spirit when Hebrews is written. And this psalm is now being addressed to you and me personally by the Holy Spirit of God himself as a warning not to harden our hearts against God. Now you can see there that the writer of Hebrews gives a negative example in the first generation of Israel who were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, if you remember, they were the ones who were rescued uh, from Egypt by God's mighty hand. Uh, they were the ones who were given the law at Mount Sinai. And yet, as they journeyed across the desert to the promised land that God was leading them to, well, they began to rebel against God as they began to face difficulties 
and trials in the desert. They grumbled against God when they did not have food, saying that back in Egypt we had meat and cucumbers and leeks and onions. Whereas in the desert we have no food. And they wanted to turn back to Egypt. Psalm 95 itself speaks of that tragic time that we read about in the Old Testament this morning where Israel ran out of water. They did not have any water in the desert. But rather than trusting that God would provide, they grumbled against Moses and they turned their back on God. You see, grumbling, friends, is a great act of rebellion against God. Because when you grumble, you do not trust that God will keep his promises. When you grumble, you do not believe in your heart that God will provide for your needs. You see, again and again, Israel grumbled and rebelled against God, and in their disobedience, they wanted to turn back to Egypt because somehow life seemed a little bit easier there. Somehow, they thought that the temporary pleasures and the instant gratification of the things they had there would be better than an eternal existence with God in the promised land. But what did God do? Well, he swore to them that because of their unbelief, they would not enter the promised land. If you know the story, it's, it's, a, it's a tragic story. They were made to wander around in the desert for 40 years until every single person in that first generation of Israel that came out of Egypt fell dead in the desert and their bodies rotted in the sun. And it was only the second generation of Israel who were able to enter into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so the writer of Hebrews warns these Christians about this kind of unbelief, which he describes as a problem of the human heart, doesn't he? You can see it there in verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, this was the great sin of the people of Israel, wasn't it? Their hearts were evil because they willfully, knowingly rejected God's promises for them and the goodness of God. Their hearts were unbelieving because they did not believe God's promises, that he would take them to this promised land. And so their hearts, rather than being soft and responsive to the things that God was saying, well, they began to harden. It became rock hard. They kept on hearing God's word, but they just went out the door without doing anything about it. No change of life, no change of behavior. And they disobeyed him to the point of wanting to return again to slavery in Egypt so that they could have their temporary pleasures, not knowing that it would enslave them. Now, friends, uh, I don't know about you, but I've often read the story of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. And I've often thought to myself, I mean, how can you be so stupid? <laughs> how can they be so stupid? 
Have you ever thought that to yourself? I mean, these were the people who saw plague after plague after plague that God sent on the people of Egypt right before their eyes. These were the people who saw the Red Sea being parted before them so that they could walk across on dry ground. And when they looked back, they saw God drowning their enemies. These were the people who sang songs of praise with Moses, celebrating their salvation. And yet when they came to a time of testing, they were the ones who hardened their hearts against God. And they wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt for the sake of temporary pleasures and immediate gratification. But you know, sometimes you and I are not that much different, are we? I mean, we are the ones who have tasted an even greater salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through our great salvation event, which is his high priestly atoning death on the cross for our sins. We are the ones who have been given uh, greater promises, not of some land in the Middle East, but to our promised land of eternal rest and blessing in heaven itself. And yet, when trials and suffering and opposition comes in our lives, how many of us do not know that temptation of stopping listening to God and turning to temporary pleasures and joys in this life, and in doing so, turning our back on God. Is that you? Or is it just me at times? I don't know what it is for you. It may be your career, it may be your family, it may be the pleasure-filled or easy life, it may be pursuing a relationship or a sexual relationship of with somebody who is not your marriage partner or a non-believer. But so often we can be tempted to turn our backs on Jesus and rather than serving him, we become enslaved to other things instead. Why is it that some of us can be so reluctant to committing to serving Jesus and his people with great joy but we are not so reluctant in serving other things in our lives. Is it because we are hardening our hearts against God? If there are any of us hardening our hearts against him in this way, God says, beware. Look at what happened to the people of Israel. It's a fact that they died in the desert. However, I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews does not only give us negative warnings out of love for us, but he also gives us positive ways of guarding against such hardening of heart. And you'll see it there in the command to encourage one another uh, in the context of uh, a Christian community or church. Now, you can see it there in verse 13, can't you? Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, verse 13, 
but exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, this kind of encouragement can only be done in the context of God's people, isn't it? Gathering with God's people. You can't do it on your own because how are you going to encourage one another on your own? And further, this kind of encouragement is to be a daily and regular thing. It's not about simply coming to church once a month or whenever it's convenient, as so many Christians want to do these days. It's about being committed to God's people and regularly meeting with them more and more, perhaps in a growth group, perhaps one-on-one, perhaps uh, other ways that you can meet with, with God's people with the purpose of encouraging one another in the Christian life so that we will help one another to make it to the end. The American pastor and author Kevin DeYoung says these words. He says, In more than a decade of pastoral ministry, I've never met a Christian who was healthier, more mature, and more active in ministry by being apart from the church. But I have found the opposite to be invariably true. The weakest Christians are those least connected to the body, he says. And the less involved you are, the more disconnected those following you will be. The man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. I think there's a ring of truth about what he says here. If you are somebody who is disconnected from other Christians and not in the regular habit of meeting with other Christians with the Bible open to offer encouragement to one another, then you are not only being disobedient to God, but you are not availing yourself of God's great gift to you in the, in, in the community of his people that he has given to you so that you can encourage one another. In all reality, you may even be drifting away from Jesus already. But know that if that continues, it will not only affect you, but it will affect your family and your children and your grandchildren as well. And so friends, make some changes in your life today. Resolve to meet with God's people. There are many people here at church who would love to meet with you and encourage you in the Christian life. Just don't leave here hardening your heart even further against God. Well, finally, friends, uh, the writer of Hebrews concludes this passage by saying that when it comes to the Christian life, it's not just about how you begin, but it's about how you persevere and finish. It's not just about how you begin, but it's about how you persevere and finish. Let's pick it up from verse 16. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they shall never enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And you see, the big point that the writer of Hebrews makes here 
as he summarizes our passage this morning, is that the very people who tragically did, could not enter or did not enter God's rest, that is the promised land, are the very people who began well. They were the ones who left Egypt, led by Moses. They were the ones who tasted something of the salvation that God had granted. And yet, because of unbelief, they are the ones who tragically did not make it to the promised land. And so it's not just about how you begin, but it's about whether you are persevering in your Christian faith now and living in obedience to God now. It's not about past glories. You know, I led a Bible study group once at youth group or uni. I did all these amazing things in serving Jesus 20 years ago. But now I just want to, you know, not worry about things like that too much. It's about whether you're persevering in faith and living now in obedience to him. Uh, some of you might have seen the iconic image of that marathon runner uh, sort of staggering into the Olympic Stadium at the end. Uh, you know the one I'm talking about? It's quite a famous uh, clip. Um, she was a Swiss athlete called Gabriella Anderson, and it was the 1984 Olympic Games. Uh, it was such a hot day that day that uh, she was almost collapsing from exhaustion. Uh, she was dehydrated. Her body started cramping up. But uh, she just kept on going, one foot after another, until she reached the stadium. And when she entered the stadium, the whole crowd just erupted. However, if you look carefully at the footage, uh, what you'll notice is that uh, as she takes one step at a time uh, around the, the final lap, uh, you see a doctor walking alongside of her. Uh, not only to make sure that she's all right, but offering her words of encouragement as she heads towards the finishing line. Now, that's the picture we get in Hebrews, friends. The way God will get us to the finishing line is by encouraging us with his word, which, by the way, comes with real warnings for his people as well, and as he empowers us by his spirit so that it is possible to live that life. Now, this kind of encouragement comes not only as we read scripture for ourselves, but as we keep on meeting together with other Christians to encourage and spur one another on. Now, persevering faith is a gift from God, but it is also genuinely your faith and my faith, something that we exercise and have responsibility for. And so the question for you and me this morning is, Will we heed God's encouragements and warnings to us this morning and persevere in our faith? Will we listen to God and live, live in obedience? Will we turn away from our sin and those things that hinder us from putting our faith in Jesus and living for him? For it's not just about how we begin we can't simply rely on past glories, but it's whether we are persevering in faith 
and living in obedience today? Are you somebody who is persevering in this way? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you tell us in your word that while people look at outward appearances, you are the one who looks at the heart. Father, your word exposes our hearts and shows us what we are really like. Please forgive us for the times when we have doubted your goodness and grumbled and complained about our circumstances like the Israelites, ignoring the fact that you are leading us to a glorious heavenly inheritance. But Father, we thank you that your word both encourages and warns us for our good so that we might be strengthened by the things you say to keep trusting and following Jesus with persevering faith. Help us to consider this Jesus more and more in our lives. Help us to see him as the one who, as our gracious Lord and Saviour, will rule your people forever so that we might not depart from him but continue to cling to him for salvation. Please help us to not harden our hearts against him, especially when trials and suffering or difficult circumstances come our way. Father, it's so easy to think that we do not need to listen to you during these times. But please help us to heed your word even more during those times of trial. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have every assurance and confidence that we have a Saviour who will safely deliver us into your kingdom. And so, Father, as we look at him, we pray that you would deepen our faith and our confidence and our hope so that we can live our lives in a manner worthy of the heavenly calling that you have called us to. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.